Good morning. How's everybody doing? Welcome to Whitestone. Hope everybody had a good uh, 4th of July weekend and that you're still having a good 4th of July weekend. Uh, I want to thank you. Uh, every so often I just get the urge, like maybe once uh, or twice a year, to, uh, to thank y'all for still coming and still listening. Uh, you know, I don't get it, but I'm glad y'all do. And, uh, and so um, thanks, for, thanks for being here. Thanks for giving me and Mark the privilege to share the word with you and for giving um, the band the opportunity to lead you in worship. It is certainly a gift to us. I'm going to pray over the room, and then we'll get to it. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and God, I pray right now you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. God, I'm praying a very specific prayer this morning. I'm praying that a couple of hours from now, um, I want to get a text from somebody just saying, hey, um, that made a difference for me this morning. And I'm not just talking about the things I say or the songs that we sing. I'm just talking about uh, the, the whole experience uh, of you. Uh, I want to believe that you're still changing people and you're still um, changing people's course and changing people's hearts and you're still uh, moving. And so I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to hearing somebody say, hey, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's changing me. That, that changed me, that experience. We love you. I thank you for all you do. Thank you for the power of the Spirit. Pray that you'd move in our midst. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen, amen. So uh, this past Tuesday, I was uh, walking at Bricky, trying to keep this body in peak physical condition. Uh, it's not natural. I mean, I got to put the work in, right? And I was going to walk on the track around the basketball court, like in front of the school, um, but the gate was locked and I couldn't get in. And so uh, I walked up to the gate, and there right next to the gate, I noticed a sign that I'm sure has been there for a long time, but I had never noticed this sign before. Uh, Lisa just put it up in the back. Uh, the sign said, uh, use playground at your own risk. Now, I know the school put the sign up just because they didn't want to be held liable in case somebody, a kid got hurt on the weekend or in the evening or something like that, and, and I get it. Um, but for me... Uh, the cool thing about seeing this sign is that the angle that I was looking at the sign, uh, I could see the Boys and Girls Club in the background. Like, you can see that in, in the picture, right? Like, that's where we ha have church. And so, the more uh, that I looked at the church, the more that I looked at the sign, the more that I looked at the sign, looked at the church, the more I thought, you know, uh, maybe our church should have an enter at your own risk sign on the door. And, and really, while we're at it, I think the Bible should have an open at your own risk label, like a warning label. I think especially Jesus' words, the red letters, should come with a disclaimer. Listen at your own risk. Because the reality is, church, if we take these things serious, they can and will flip our lives upside down, end over end. I know a lot of people are afraid to come back to church right now. Um, because they're afraid they might catch the coronavirus. And I get it. But I would like to remind you today that there is something much more frightening to be found here than the coronavirus. Here, you can have an encounter with the living God. Here, you can meet with Jesus and Him crucified. Here, you can have your whole life destroyed and rebuilt by the Holy Spirit. 
In this season, a lot of people are worried about their bodies. I think we need to be reminded to be worried about our souls. Jesus says himself, Matthew 10, 28, he says, Don't fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Church, if we're going to be afraid, I'm just saying we need to be afraid of the right things. Some of y'all think I'm kidding about this. I'm, I'm not kidding. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9, text says this. It says, our God is a consuming fire. The author of the book of Hebrews is trying to warn us, uh, before you approach the throne room of God, be aware that our God is flammable. When we come together to worship, we are quite literally playing with fire. Worship is a dangerous endeavor. The Bible is a dangerous book. And Jesus is a dangerous Savior. Especially if you are committed to trying to hold on to your own values, your own ways, your own selfish ambitions. Let me explain. I know a lot of people's testimony goes something like this. They go, uh, I was a, a bad kid. And uh, I did all the wrong things as a kid. Uh, I hung out with the wrong people. I went to all the wrong places. I did drugs and stuff like that. And then I met Jesus and he fixed me. Like he fixed. Now I am an upstanding citizen in the community. Now I tithe. I do a devotion every morning. I pay my bills on time. Every time I say a curse word, I put a quarter into the swear jar. I was bad, but now I'm good. I was broken, now he made me whole. Church, I got to tell you, that's not my story. That's not the way it worked for me. My story was much more like this. I was doing fine before I met Jesus. Like before I met Jesus, I had a plan. I, I wanted to work for the TBI. I wanted to make a lot of money. I wanted a big house, probably on the lake. I wanted to, to drive nice cars. I, I wanted, ultimately I wanted the American dream. Like I had goals and then I met Jesus and Jesus was like, nope. And the next thing I know, I'm selling everything that I own and giving the money away. And the next thing I know, I'm serving in Knoxville's inner city. Like, I'm serving in the streets that my mom and dad told me not to go to when I was a kid. And the next thing I know, Bethany and I are picking up and at the call of God and moving to Wilmington for whatever reason. And the next thing I know, I'm delivering a baby on the Haitian roadside. And the next thing I know, I, I'm preaching Jesus in a Nicaraguan prison. Now, for me, the story wasn't so much God came in and he fixed everything. Now, for me, Jesus came in and he tore everything apart. He shattered my dream. He shattered my goals. He shattered my perspectives, and he left me in pieces. And it's my hope that even today, he's still using these broken shards to reflect his glory. When I think about the people who are like, you know, yeah, you know, I was broken, and God fixed me. It makes me want to go ahead and preemptively throw a couple of quarters in the swear jar just for the thoughts I'm having. Not because it's coming out. I'm just saying just because what's going on. And it's not just me. 
I mean, consider the other characters that we've been talking about so far in this Reunion Tour 2020 series. The call of God sent Jonah into the belly of a, a big fish. It sent Joseph to prison for a decade. And as we are about to learn today, it sent Daniel into a den of lions. Church, 2,500 years before Joe Exotic became the Tiger King, Daniel was the Lion King. And just like Simba, his dad died trying to save him too. Some of y'all will get that in the car ride on the way home. Some of these jokes are too sophisticated for you. I get it. All right, I've got a Lion King joke. Do y'all want to hear it? Is this going good? No. Larry's shaking his head. No, please, no. All right. If, if it's going good, I'm afraid it'll mess it up. So, all right. It's bad. Okay. Uh, why, was, why was Simba uh, unable to save his dad in the Lion King movie? He didn't move fast enough. Got to put something in there for the kids. <laughs> Don't try to tell me that this stuff isn't dangerous. Like not just our church, but any church. Inner church at your own risk. Open this book at your own risk. Listen to Jesus at your own risk. Some of you all are afraid of catching the corona, and you really need to be afraid of catching the spirit because uh, the coronavirus might do uh, work on your body, but the spirit will do work on your soul. The coronavirus might lead to a sicker you. The Holy Spirit will lead to a different you. Now, Daniel was a young man when King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians came in and besieged Jerusalem. And the Jews were taken into Babylonian captivity. But even in exile, like even, uh, even after being taken captive, Daniel had a knack for rising to a leadership role. He's had a knack for rising to the top. First king he served was King Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, Daniel rose, became a leader in King Nebuchadnezzar's court. Then King Nebuchadnezzar died and his son Belshazzar became king, and Daniel became a leader in Belshazzar's court. Then Belshazzar died, and King Darius the Mede became king, and Daniel became a leader in Darius's court. Church, hopefully you can see the trend. The kings kept changing. Daniel kept remaining. He wasn't going anywhere. And in this way, I think God wanted Daniel to be a picture for us, a representative of his forever kingdom. We are supposed to see that kings and kingdoms will come and go, but the kingdom of God will never end. Most scholars think Daniel was around 17 years old when Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon came in and raided Jerusalem. And they think he was probably around 70 years old when he was thrown into the lion's den. In this way... Daniel's life is a picture for us of consistent, lifelong faithfulness. For at least 53 years, he kept showing up. For at least 
53 years, he kept praying to God every day. For 53 years, he kept trying to do the next right thing. Church, we live in a culture where a lot of people treat Christianity like it's temporary. You know what I'm talking about. Surely I'm not the only one who, who has seen this. It amazes me how often people will hop on the Jesus bus for like six months or sometimes even six years, and then all of a sudden they hop off. I think part of the problem, and we see it in this story, is that a lot of people have come to confuse conviction with conversion. I think a lot of people have come to confuse conviction with conversion. I think a lot of people believe they're saved just because they heard God speak to them once. But there is a difference in being convicted and being converted. Conviction is about hearing God's voice. Conversion is about doing what he says. Conviction is about sin. Conversion is about surrender. Conviction is knowing that you need to change. Conversion is actually changing. Conviction can be temporary. Conversion always lasts a lifetime. I want to use somebody smarter than me. This is the Puritan theologian, John Owen. And I think he helps us here in this quote I'm about to share really differentiate between conviction and conversion. And this quote is kind of long, and it's written in Old English a little bit, like kind of an Old English style, so it can be a little bit hard to follow. But it's honestly, like I usually about probably one time a Sunday I share a quote like this with you, and this may be my favorite. It may be the, my favorite that I've ever shared. This is what he says. He says, As a traveler... In his way, meeting with a violent storm of thunder and rain, immediately turns out of his way to some house or tree for shelter, but yet this causeth him not to give over his journey. So soon as the storm is over, he returns to his way and progress again. So it is with man in bondage to sin. They are in a course of pursuing their lust. The law meets with them in a storm of thunder, excuse me, and lightning from heaven, terrifies and hinders them on their way. This turns them for a season out of their course. They will run to prayer or amendment of life for some shelter from the storm of wrath, which is feared coming upon their consciences. But is their course stopped? Are their principles altered? Not at all. As soon as the storm is over and they begin to wear out that sense and the terror that was upon them, they return to their former course in the service of sin again. Listen to me, church. Just because you heard God speak to you once doesn't mean you're saved. Just because you heard his voice one time doesn't mean you're saved. It's been my experience over the years that conviction leads to one of two different outcomes. Conviction sometimes leads to conversion, and sometimes it leads to diversions. And this is what I mean. Sometimes conviction leads to conversion, meaning sometimes you hear the Holy Spirit whisper to you saying you're going down the wrong path, and you change paths. That is conversion. But sometimes it leads to diversion, and that looks like this. 
You hear the Holy Spirit whispering to you, telling you that you're going down the wrong path. And so like John Owen said, you kind of step to the side for a minute and you're trying to wait for the voice to pass. You're trying to wait until you don't feel the storm anymore or until you don't feel that conviction in your heart anymore. And then once it goes away, you just start right back down the path that you were on. I think for a lot of people, that's how they, that, they think they're saved just because they heard that voice and they stepped to the side again. But if you haven't had a moment in your life where you were going one way, you encountered Jesus, and then you turned and went the other way, you are not saved. There is a difference between conviction and conversion. And I think we see examples of this all throughout the Daniel story. Like in the same way that we're supposed to see this contrast that, yeah, the kings and kingdoms come and go, but Daniel remains. I think we see the same contrast between Daniel and the kings as well. Because all the kings in the Daniel story, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Darius the Mede, they all see Daniel work these incredible miracles. Like Daniel throughout his, the course of his life does all these supernatural things, and they're a part of it. And once they see it, it changes them temporarily. Like for two or three days, they're all like, man, Daniel's God is the only God. Everybody should listen to Daniel's God. Everybody should follow Daniel's God. But then there's no long-term life change. The kings were convicted. Daniel was converted. The kings praised God for like three days. Daniel walked with him for 53 years, that is the difference between conviction and conversions. Church, when you look at your life, whether you're watching at home or whether you're in the room, what, how have you experienced? I mean, honestly, when you look at your life, can you trace it back and you can go, I can remember the first time I heard the Spirit call me out for the sin in my life, and then I remember changing course. I remember going in a different direction. I mean, I wonder how many of you all, like me, you know, have that part of your story where you're just like, I was doing fine. Like, I thought I knew the path I was just supposed to go, and then I met Jesus, and he wrecked my train completely, and now I'm on a different path. I, I really want us to be very careful because I think in our culture, a lot of people have confused conviction and conversion, and I think it's made it to where a lot of people treat Christianity like it's temporary. Like, it's okay, I'll do the Jesus thing for a couple of years, and then I'll just move on to something else. Now, y'all understand what I'm saying? I know it's not as good as the Mufasa joke. I was really worried about the Mufasa joke because I didn't know if you, if you should go uh, Mufasa enough or if it's just Mufasa enough. You know, like I did, I was afraid I wouldn't say it right, and I probably didn't. All right, let's talk about the lines then. So, this is what happened. What had happened was some officials and leaders were jealous of Daniel and the authority that he had in Darius's court, the authority that he had in the kingdom. And so they conspired uh, against him. They went to the king. The king loved Daniel, but they went to the king and they tricked him into signing off on a new law that said if anybody makes a petition or a prayer or a request of any god or any person other than King Darius for 30 days, they will immediately be arrested and they'll be thrown in the den of lions. And so the king enacted the law. He signed it, sealed off on it with his signet ring. It was done. Now what these guys knew was every day at the same time, Daniel prayed at the same place. So every day Daniel would go to the upper chamber and I think he went to the upper chamber because there was a window in the upper chamber that he could look out and it was in the direction of Jerusalem. 
And I imagine he would go there and he would hit his knees and he would pray in hopes that one day the city of God would be restored. Like he still had that desire in his heart. But these guys knew that he did that and he could be seen through that window in the chamber. And so they get the king to come and enact the law and he does. And then they just wait. And Daniel, like I said, is 70 years old. And one of the cool things about being 70 years old, there's a couple of cool things. One, when you turn 70, you just kind of do what you want to do. I mean, like, nobody's telling, at 70 years old, very few people are being told what to, to do anymore. And so Daniel just kept right along doing what he did. So he knows that the law has been put in place. He knows they're out to get him. And he very intentionally still just walks over to the window, gets down on his knees, looks out, prays over Jerusalem. Not long after he offers this prayer, the officials, the leaders, they run to tell Darius, hey, Daniel, doing exactly what the law said he's not supposed to do. And so they came and they arrested him and they took him and they threw him in the lion's den. Now, when I think about the lion's den and what it was like, I have a couple of different images in mind. I mean, I know some people, when they talk about it, they kind of imagine a cave-like spot. I think it could have been that. I imagine it's like a hole in the ground and that there's just a bunch of lions in, in the hole. And the reason that I imagine it that way is because later in the story, when they go to get Daniel, it says that they lifted him up out of the den. I'm thinking if they're lifting him up out of something, he's probably, it's probably in the ground. But anyway, they put 70 years old, they put him in the den of lions. And then the Bible says they take a stone and they roll it over the den so he can't, he can't exit, he can't get out. Now, it's just an aside here. It's not really what I wanted to talk about in particular today, but I would just kind of give you a heads up that when you're reading the scriptures, anytime a stone starts being rolled, it usually means something cool is about to happen. I mean, like you got the story of, uh, of Daniel Rod, and then later you get that cool story of Lazarus. He's like, moved the stone, and then the big one, the story of the resurrection, the stone, they're like, hey, the stone just gets moved. So pay attention to that. And the reason I think that is is because, I mean, and I, I don't know that I ever considered Daniel in the lion's den and the stone rolled over top of it so it's like completely dark. I'm like, how frightening would that be? So not only are the lions like roaming around, but you can't, you can't even see them. Like you're just trying to, to listen to them. One of the reasons that I think the, the stones almost always lead to something cool happening is because our God is all about making a way at times when it seems like there is no way. Like he's all about letting the space that we're in, the physical space, like get completely dark and we think, oh, this show's over. There's no way that this is going to end. There's no way we're getting out of this. And then all of a sudden, boom, that's when the miracle happens. That's when hope gets restored. So Daniel gets tossed into this lion's den. How many of you all have ever been uh, like up and close and personal with a lion? Like how many of y'all have ever seen a lion? Like directly in front of you, you know? When, uh, when Sophie and Ella were like two years old, we took them to this place in Wilmington called uh, the Trey Gambo Animal Park. And the reason I think it was called the Trey Gambo Animal Park and not the Trey Gambo Zoo is because uh, the place was half animals and half trailer park. I mean, it was, it was really basically like two guys had just bought this piece of property and then they just put a bunch of animals in cages and then that was it. And you should have known that the place was gonna be pretty sketchy because to get in, you have to walk through the mouth of a line. I got a picture of this too, uh, I think. There it is. 
That is the entrance. That is a lion's head. That is a trailer. That's why I said animal park. So we walk through the, the lion's head, and this place is crazy. I mean, you can get way closer to animals at this place than you should be able to get, like for sure. And this is like 25 years ago. It couldn't have been that long. They're not that old. How, how long ago was it? How old are y'all? It's like 13 years ago. So I don't know, but 13 years ago, we walk in and there's like monkeys just jumping around on trees and snakes like just kind of going across the ground. And Bethany's like, dude, I don't think this is a good idea. And I'm like, Beth, listen, they've got name badges on. Like you can't, you can't have it. You have to be official to have a name badge. Like we're good. Everything's, everything's fine. But the highlight of the Trey Gambo Animal Park was they had this one massive line. And they had him in, in a cage. And, uh, and I walk over to where this line is. And when I talk, say a cage, it's really just like one chain link fence. And so I walk over to where this line is, and I'm like a foot and a half from him. And I'm just, I'm just staring at him, like locked in on this thing. And it's massive. I mean, like, I can, I can, he- I can hear it breathe. Like, I can hear him breathe. I can see the vascularity in his muscles, you know, and, uh, and it, I mean, it affected me. Like, it, 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 it shook me a little bit. It caused me to tremble. Same effect that I get when uh, I go and look at the ocean or when I'm hiking and I'm, like, looking over the side of a cliff or when I look in Pastor Mark's eyes for too long. I mean, it just, it made my legs weak. And here was Daniel, 70 years old, in the dark, surrounded by lions. And not only is he there, but he ends up staying the whole night there. Hashtag worst sleepover ever. I mean, he is in the den and lions just like the one that I was standing face to face with. And I'm getting frightened and there's a chain link fence in between me and and this line. He's in a den with several lions like this. Let's read about what happened next. This is Daniel 6, 19 through 23. Daniel 6, 19 through 23 says, Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den, So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den. It's dark. He can't see anything. God sends angels into the den to seal off the mouths of the lion. Darius comes, and the night passes. King comes to see if he's still in there. Not only is he still in the den, but they lift him out, and he is completely unharmed. Church, Daniel's whole life had been building toward this moment. 
This is the story, anybody that knows Daniel knows, this is the story that most gets associated with his name. It's probably the story that was told at his funeral. It is legendary. But what I need you to understand, church, is there are no legends without lessons. There are no legends without lessons. There is no Daniel in the lion's den unless he's praying every day in the upper chamber. There is no Daniel in the lion's den unless he's doing everything for those 53 years to try to get as close as he can to have an intimate relationship with God. I like to believe that at that point in Daniel's story, he had been walking with so God so long that we shouldn't be surprised that God would follow him into the lion's den. I like to believe that he'd been walking with God so long that he smelled like him. And so when he landed in that pit and those lions were roaming, they started sniffing around. And they thought, we're not going to mess with this guy. He smells dangerous. Smells like he might be flammable. And so they left him alone. Church, there's no legends without the lessons. Do you hear me? There is no. You don't do the lessons there are no legends without the lessons. Now, the good news is, legends are still being created. Legends are still being created. I believe this to be true with my whole heart. I believe that there is at least one person in this room, and I believe that there is at least one person who's watching online right now, and every day in the season that you're currently in, every day you're trying to do the best you can to live faithfully. Every day you are digging into the Word and trying to connect with God on a deep level. Like every day you're trying to do everything that you can to get closer to God, to do the next right thing. And right now, it seems like nobody's watching. And right now, it seems like nobody cares. And right now, it seems like nobody's paying attention. But you are being forged in the fires of faithfulness. You are in a season of preparation. You are being prepared for your lion's den. You are being prepared for your imprisonment. You are being prepared for your experience in the big fish. And I'm here to, to tell you today, just keep on keeping on. Because right now you are learning the lessons that if you are faithful will become your legends. Right now, you're learning the lessons that will one day become the stories that if me and Mark live long enough, we'll get to share at your funerals. Legends are still being created. One small, faithful act of obedience at a time. There are no legends without the lessons. Learn the lessons. Prepare your heart so that you're ready, so that when you get thrown into the den, you smell like Jesus too. Now, let me remind you today, and I'm finished, but this stuff is dangerous. Enter our church at your own risk. Open this book at your own risk. Listen to Jesus at your own risk. Because I don't want to be held liable for what you might do once you let the Spirit take hold of your life. Pray with me. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. God, I love this story. Uh, it's remarkable. And I know we look at the story of the lion's den, and that's kind of the thing that sticks out in our minds. But as I was studying this week, the thing that kept sticking out to me is just long-term, consistent faithfulness of Daniel. 
that he kept showing up. He kept trying to do the right things that all these kings would see something in him that led them to, 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 to want him by their side. God, I pray for the person in the room right now or the person who may be watching online who's struggling with that distinction between conviction and conversion. God, there's somebody here, somebody watching, who right now today, as I'm talking, as we're singing, you want to change the course of their lives, and I pray that they do it. Maybe a hundred times in their lives up to this point, they've heard you whisper to them and tell you that it's time to change. Let today be the day that they actually do change. Let today make a difference in somebody's eternal life. Let today be a day that makes a difference in somebody's future faithfulness. God, like Daniel, we, we want to smell like you. When the world gets around us, we want to smell a little bit dangerous. We want them to know that we've spent time in your presence. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.